All right, before we play the video, uh, but while the ushers are still hang, handing out the offering baskets, we have a special moment, and I'd like to ask the, the team, if you can join me up here. Um, today is uh, Jess Smith's last service with us at Every Nation. Um, can we give, uh, 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 just, just so she knows, really how we're feeling. Uh, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jess is going to be going and moving to Geneva to go do her master's there. So we want to take a moment just to pray for her uh, and a sender of uh, Jonathan Joanne, if you'd mind joining me up here. I've asked uh, Greg and Dando if you can pray for us quickly, uh, and then we'll send you off. I can't believe this is it. It's been good. Thank you so much for everything you've done. The, the leader you are, the person you have been, the faithfulness that you have uh, really led with. We so appreciate you and uh, looking forward to what God has in store. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this awesome young woman, Lord God, who loves you with all her heart, Lord God. I thank you that Jess is leaving behind such a heritage, God, such an example of what it looks like when you sell, when we sell ourselves out for you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for just her gift of discipleship, Lord God, for her gift of community, Lord God, for her gift of teaching. And Father God, we thank you for, for every seed she has planted in this house, Lord God, that it is going to grow into full fruition, Lord God. And God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, we send her out to her destiny, Lord God. We thank you that there are so many more gifts in her that you are calling her to explore, Lord God, for your purpose, Lord God, to, to build your kingdom the way that you want to, Lord God. And we just send her out with love. We send her out with joy, Lord God. We send her out knowing that she will be received on that side, Lord God, and that she will be anchored back into your kingdom there, Lord Jesus, and that she will cause much fruitfulness and abundance to occur there in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for the gift that Jess has been to this house. Lord, we release her with the confidence that she remains in you and you remain in her. Lord, we speak a blessing into this next season. Thank you, Lord, that when we seek you first, you add all these other things. And so, Lord, I pray that this next season will be fruitful, that there be people around her who will love her and see her. Lord, I thank you that her ministry gift will continue to be stretched in this place that she's going into. Lord, I just pray for excellence in her studies as she goes abroad. Lord, for favor upon favor upon favor. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that she will enjoy this next season, Lord, that she'd be a young child in you, Lord God, on an adventure with you, Lord God. We thank you for her life. Thank you that she's marked by your presence and marked by your love. May she be received well where she's going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So awesome. Come on, let's give her a hand. Come on. Well done, Jess. Awesome. We gave her a gift from South Africa. We gave her a boyfriend, so she's fine. Uh, we're going to play the video, but I want to let you know, after the service, we have a party for Jess. What's happening? We're having free Buravos rolls and a whole bunch of stuff at the back just to celebrate. We love you. We appreciate you. Uh, so many people who came out today are guests of ours this evening. Again, I want to give you a shout out and thank you so much for joining us this evening. You have come at a second week of our Jonah series uh, in a series entitled The Gospel According to the Book of Jonah. If, if, if I had it my way, if I had to go back into time, if I had to, how many of you remember Quantum Leap? That, 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 and then you go back into someone's way. If I had to go back into time and I could choose what to title some of the books of the Bible, if I could title Jonah, I would change it completely. I would probably title it The Dummy's Guide to How Christians Behave Badly. If you want to know how Christians mess things up, read Jonah. It, it, it's, it's such a remarkable book. It actually reminded me of uh, when I got saved, I was 16. I had a girlfriend at the time, you know, blazing. Life was good. Then I encountered the Lord, and I got saved. Amen, brother. I got saved. <laughs> Truth be, word for word, this is what happened. I got saved in an evening service, and so I called this lady at 10 o'clock at night. won't mention the name. I called at 10 o'clock at night in a panic. Hey, hello. Yes, listen, I just got saved, and it's between you and God. And I'm choosing God. Can't do it anymore. 
She's half asleep. She's like, what's going on? The next day, she calls me at like 9, 10 in the morning. She's freaking out, what's going on? I said, no, I had to choose God. I couldn't take you no more. It's, you know, I know it was, it was good, but no more. Needless to say, um, maybe I could have done it better. With a smile, a hug. Next month, I don't know. But um, she hated me. <laughs> And she hated God. <laughs> but check this. Save the 16. Six years later, she calls me. I'm about to get married to my wife. By the way, babe, I don't know how she got my number. She calls me. Because I, didn't, I, didn't I wasn't in contact. No, no, because I had broken up. So I don't know how she got my number, but she, she calls me. And here's what she says. Word for, I'm not kidding you. She's crying on the phone, and she says, my aunt just died, and you're the only true Christian I know. I need you to pray for me. So I did over the phone, prayed for her. And it's remarkable how God uses imperfect people. Here's what I want to tell you. The, the gospel doesn't need your perfection to work. It doesn't. The, the idea that somehow... You need to qualify in order to preach. is not in the Bible. The idea that you need to qualify in order to speak of who he is is not in the Bible. Somewhere in Jonah's imperfection, God brought out the greatest revival of all time. Jonah wasn't perfect. But what we learn in the story, the, the whole point of Jonah's story is one line. God runs after the runaways. It's as simple as that. And the, the main character of the story is God's grace. How God's grace grips a religious, rebellious hypocrite in Jonah and how it grips a cruel, idolatrous nation in Nineveh. It's all about God's grace in this book. So, when we run away from God, where does the all-pursuing God find us? Three places today I want to tell you he finds us. He will find you at the place of crisis. He'll find you at the place of mercy. And he will find you at the place of second chance. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah 1.17. When I read a lot of verses today, I will have an English degree when I'm done. <clears throat> I am. Um, in the morning service, I normally don't do this, but here I want to do this. Do you mind standing with me as we read the Word of God? I'm going to read it for you. Let's stand together for a moment. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again. Upon, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting, I remembered you and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Chapter 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Father, thank you. Your word, give us grace to hear it, grace to respond to it. In Jesus' name. Can I ask, can we just pause for a moment, reflect on those scriptures, reflect on your life, whatever you would feel comfortable to. Let's just pause and wait on God just for a moment. Father, like Jonah, we know we can come Sunday to Sunday, hear words, hear sermons, and yet live rebelliously at your call. So Lord, I ask whatever places in our hearts today, where there's pretense, whatever places in our hearts where we're trying our level best to hide from you, find us, Lord. Find us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you the context of this book. Uh, We had an amazing sermon last week, probably the best sermon I've heard all year from Lareko. Gave us the context of chapter one, and I want to touch on it again. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh. This is a rock and a hard place kind of moment for Jonah. Because you have to understand, Jonah really, really, does not want to go to Nineveh for a few things. Here's the first one. Nineveh was one of the cruelest places of its time. The prophet Nahum, a few pages later from Jonah, he actually begins to describe how cruel the Ninevites were. The, the, the fact that they would go into a city and they would conquer the city, and when they'd conquered the city, they would skin people alive and use their skin as flags to show people that they had conquered it. They would go into a city and they would decapitate people, take their heads, bring their heads home and begin to create a a, a pyramid shape with all the heads that they had decapitated. So that when people walked into Nineveh, they knew who was boss. These same people had annihilated, raped, killed, murdered Israelites and had every intention to go back and wipe the Israelites out. God says, Jonah, go. And Jonah, I don't want you to go with anyone. I want you to go by yourself. Don't take anything with you. Go by yourself to a city that might kill you, to a cruel city. Go. Kind of reminds me of Jesus. How about you, Jesus? You go to a whole world that will reject you, a whole world that will not accept you. They will crucify you. But go. One man, one message. Change everything. Sends him. Jonah says, can't do it. I get it. Like, I get his, his, his trouble because if he goes, he dies. And if he goes and lives, God gives compassion to them and he saves the people that Jonah hates. I don't mean to be weird or anything. I'm not trying to create drama for you. Jonah was a little bit of a racist. Um, just a tad, Greg, not too much. Just a little bit. Maybe a bigot. I don't know. But the point is, he hated a people who were different from his race. He believed that they were below him and that they were deserving of God's punishment. Let me help you for a moment. God is not obliged to love or hate the people you love or hate. He really isn't. But you are obliged to love anyone made in the image of the creator. He's not obliged to love who you love or hate who you hate. Jonah, go. So, as as one commentator said, I love what he said. He said, God said to to Jonah, go. Jonah said, no. (laughs) And God said, okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's where we find ourselves. 
at the moment. Jonah decides he's not going to go to Nineveh, but instead what he does, he goes to Joppa to go buy a ticket so he can go as far as possible away from God. He has two options. It's Nineveh or Tashish. And he's trying to figure out, where am I going to go? I know it's Tashish. <laughs> Here he is. He's got two options. And at Joppa, he pays a ticket and he decides he is going to go to Tashish. Tashish was... 4,000 kilometers away from where Jonah was. Nineveh was 500. Listen, uh, you will always pay a higher price for disobedience. I, I want to let you know. Uh, don't think twice. You, you won't feel it now. But at the end of the month, when you look at your account, you will realize, where did the money go? It's simple. Disobe- disobedience just costs more. It really does. The, the, the discipline of being obedient feels hard on your flesh, but the reward is great. And God tends to pay for your trip if you obey. But here's the reality. If you want to disobey, you, you will have to pay at Joppa. Whatever it costs to travel 4,000 miles away from the presence of God, away from the purposes of God, you will have to find yourself in a place where you will decide, is it worth it to lose my marriage? Is it worth it? To lose my kids, is it worth it to live corrupt? Is it worth it? And you will make that decision at Joppa. Here's the funny thing. Joppa is the same place where God spoke to to Peter and he said, Peter, go to the Gentiles. And Peter said, no, I can't do it. They're way too unclean. And, and, and And Jesus said this to him. He said, don't you dare call unclean that which I've made clean. Same place. Joppa is a place you have to decide at Joppa where you're going to go. He makes a decision. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I've had it. I'm cool. In fact, the furthest I can get from you, the better. All his savings puts them in, and he gets into a ship. When he gets into the ship, he's stressed out, just, oh, man, what's so much happening? And he does what any sinful person would do when they know they've messed up. What do they do? He sleeps. You know you've done that many times. Brother man sleeps. It's such a deep sleep. When the storm comes, homie is sleeping. But herein is the first point. God, the the pursuing God, begins to chase Jonah in crisis, at the place of crisis. I want you to know that Jonah was making all these decisions. The ship was moving forward. Just because your life is moving forward doesn't mean you're going the right direction. Think twice before you you consider that your momentum forward means that somehow God is pleased or somehow you're doing the right thing. Just because you're moving doesn't mean you're going where you're meant to go. And out of His grace, He sends a storm. There's a storm God is sending to your life. Here's what the storm is for. It it might be a culmination of your sin, but the storm is to identify you from the crowd. I'm here for you. You come and meet with me. You come and speak to me. You know when your storm has come to you. You do. You know the storm's got nothing to do with everybody else. It's got everything to do with you. And now you have to get out from your sleep and go, all righty. Let's do it. That was in Jonah. Place of crisis comes. The storm is raging. And the three sailors are trying to figure out what to do. They're not Christians. They're not people of the way. They're not Jewish people. They're pagans. So what do they do? They start calling out to their gods. They're experienced sailors. So for them, this is a supernatural storm that they know they're about to die. So they start calling out to their gods. You Adula Ablingada, save us. Save us from this thing. They're praying. They're crying out. They t- one of them taps the other and says, hey, there's one guy who's sleeping. Maybe, maybe his God can save us. So they go down to the dock. They find him. Hey, Peter. Oh, they don't know his name. They're like, hey, dude, who, Jewish man, what's going on? What's your name? Where do you come from? What's popping? 
the Bible says, Jonah got up and he said, I'm a Hebrew man and my God is the God of the seas and heavens. They all said, ah, Sukangue, you're the one. You're the one. <laughs> What's going on with you? And so he's like, okay, I know. Okay, it's me. I've been running away from God. <sighs> Throw me off the boat. I don't know why he didn't just jump off. I'm trying to figure out where the revelation is there. I don't know. Guys, throw me off. The pagans go, no, 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 maybe there's another way. And they start rowing. They start trying to work themselves into salvation for Jonah. They do the best that they can. They put all their effort in and they're rowing. But the finger of God, the pinky of God is holding the ship. There's nothing that can do. No matter how much efforts they have, no matter how much work they can do, they just can't get to the shore. This is the story of your life. The shore is destiny. You can't get there by your works. The shore is salvation. You can't get there by your deeds. No matter how good they are, no matter how much effort you put in, no matter how much you row, when you look back, you'll be in the exact same place where you started rowing in the beginning. And here's the reality. When, he, when they're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing, Jonah is waiting, hoping that they will rescue him. Who, who are you hoping will rescue you? When you know you're supposed to meet with God, who are you hoping will do the rowing for you? Your wife, your husband, your friends, your church, your kids. You know, if my kids just row right, they, they must just behave. Because when they behave, at least everybody will know I'm a good dad. Who are you looking to to take you to the shore? Row, they can't get there. Here's a problem now. They realize they can't do it, and so they look at him. All right, bro. We're going to have to throw you out now. But at this point, they are so mindful of of, uh, Jonah's God, they they first start off by praying. And they say, Yahweh, you, you see him? He, but we didn't, please don't kill us. One, two. Three, throw him off the boat. He's out. The moment he touches the sea, the the, the storm begins to wane. The storm begins to wane. Threw him out of the boat. In your crisis, you will realize that the pagans you hate are actually better than you. Do you realize that they prayed first before Jonah did? Do you realize that they were willing to give up their efforts for Jonah? Do you realize that they began to cry out to God so that God wouldn't take them out for throwing Jonah out? I know there are people who do not know Jesus who are better fathers than me. I know there are people who are better husbands than me. They don't know Jesus. But here's what I know from this text. The goal of grace is not that I might be better than pagans. The goal of the text is I am confessing to the world that I depend on Jesus. You see, one might be better than me and not know Christ, but they are dependent on their works for their salvation. I'm not. If my works don't match up, I've already admitted that they won't. And so when things go wrong in my life, I find my, a, 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 a vine, I find a vini for me that I can always abide in and I can always rest in. That fruit will come out even when you don't see it. It's busting out of me because of who I'm in relationship with. Hear me. So here's the reality. God is teaching Jonah about grace. And one of the first things he shows him, Jonah, you're only good because I make you good. Don't, don't, think, don't think for a moment that you can look down on others where the only reason you are able to look is me. Don't even think twice. Hey, see, as Christians, we have no opportunity to look down at anyone regardless of what it is that they're going through. Regardless of where they are in their life's journey. Because when we look down, somehow we seem to forget that God looked down on us and he picked us up by his grace. And grace won't allow you to look down. It'll allow us to call people up. I'm inviting you that by the same invitation that I got, come up here 
Come up now. So, Jonah's trying to figure this out. These boys are trying to figure this out. They're in the place of crisis. But here's what I want to see before I move to the next point. Not only in your crisis is God picking you out to speak to you. In your crisis, my mic has gone off. In your crisis, God is trying to show you his powerful grace for your life. You see, when we read Jonah, we realize that Jesus is actually the greater Jonah. Remember the New Testament when Jesus was also in a boat that had a storm and Jesus was sleeping in that boat? Watch what happened. When they woke Jonah up, he woke up scared, panicking. When they woke Jesus up, he woke up at peace and at rest. When they were trying to figure out how to calm the storm, they had to throw Jonah into the sea. When Jesus was ready to calm the storm, he spoke to it. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus was thrown into the sea of sin for you and I so that the storm of the wrath of God might be taken away from you. He was thrown. He was willing for himself to be thrown into the sea of the stuff you and I have done and the wrath of God captured by grace. Can't fully understand his love. Can't fully understand his mercy or grace without realizing that God actually is angry at sin. And if you don't believe in a God that's angry at sin, then you don't believe in justice. Because if you must believe that something is wrong, if you must believe that deep down inside when someone goes through something that they shouldn't be going through, the Bible says there's a righteous anger that comes from us because we know that this is Wrong. God was filled with anger towards sin, but that, that, that anger had to be satisfied with justice, and that justice was Jesus dying on the cross, throwing himself at the sea of your and my sin. Point number two, a place of mercy. Uh, Jonah is now in the water. I think Jonah decided, clearly I can't run from God. I've tried my level best. Now we think it must be dumb for him to try and run from God, but here's the reality. I think Jonah knew. Jonah knew that he can't actually run from the presence of God. Psalm 139 says this. If there's any verse I think really marks my life, if you want to know my life, here it is in this verse. Where shall I go from you? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. He knew it. Can't run from the presence of God. What is he talking about? Jonah is speaking in hindsight. We don't know that Jonah is the one who actually wrote this book, but he was the source of this book. And so he's talking in hindsight that when I was in disobedience, it was as if I had run away from the presence of God. All I was trying to do is get away from any inkling of him, I had separated myself from relationship with God. And I, I can feel the reality of his lack of presence. Those of you who are married, how many of you know when you get into a fight, a fight with your spouse, though she's there, she's not. That's what he's talking about. He's fully aware that God is there, but he's fully aware that he is not with God. He's made a decision. He's had to make a conscious decision. I won't be with you. I won't obey you. I have to dull my conscience so that the life I live makes sense. I won't do it. That's what he does. And so, to the whale. Here he is. He's off the boat. He's in the water. And he sees a whale 
coming towards him and he thinks to himself, yeah, judgment time. I am going to die now. He looks at the whale, he sees judgment, but when God sees the whale, he sees mercy. He calls the whale. The, the whale comes. He grabs him. It protects him from anything else in the sea. And he, and he finds protection in darkness. He finds protection in a place where there is no life. He's alone. He's caught in the whale. But the whale is God's mercy. It's not his punishment. It's God keeping him. So that his life wouldn't go away. God keeps him in the whale. Preserves him. God calls the whale. Don't ask me how he did it. I don't know. Go get Jonah. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> I don't know. But man, the whale comes. This great fish grabs him. Now I know what some of you are thinking. I told you these Christians are dumb. Why do you believe weird things? Well, I'll tell you two reasons why I believe this is true. Second one, more important than the first. It is not historically impossible for a whale to swallow a body-sized or more than body-sized creature. It was done. It has happened before. 1891, there was a site where man was swallowed by a whale, uh, but the whale's uh, esophagus, right, it's, it's not big enough to actually swallow the whole body. And so when they opened up the whale, they found an unconscious man inside and they had to raise him. It is not uncommon. Uh, that's not even the miracle of the story. The miracle of the story is that God loves sinners. That's it. It's not impossible. Go Google. You'll find it there. Here's the second reason why I believe the whale is true. Jesus said it. In the New Testament, he speaks about a whale that took Jonah in. In fact, here's how he speaks it. Again, Jesus is the greater Jonah. He says there's a whale that took Jonah in for three days and three nights. He was in the whale, but like me, I will also be in the earth for three days and three nights when I come. I'm coming with authority. I'm coming with power. I am the greater Jonah. Uh, so that's, that's not the miraculous part. The whale comes. It takes Jonah in. And now Jonah is in the whale. Three days, three nights, and he's trying to figure it out. I mean, it's, it, it's wet in there. It smells in there. Gastric juices just bleaching Jonah's face. He was the first Michael Jackson. He's trying to figure out what to, what's going on. And the Bible says he cried out to God. <laughs> He's trying to... Uh, it was a mess in the well. I'm trying to tell you what was in... I'm trying to paint a picture so you can understand. I don't want you to miss the scripture. He's inside this thing. He's turning whiter than the day. He's trying to figure out. And he cries out to him. The whole chapter 2 is a dance between distress and devotion. And he's crying out, Lord, I cried out to you, man. You, you heard me. Lord, I'm in the belly of Sheol, which means the, the realm of death, the grave. And even there, you, you hear me. Then he says, verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. Ah, Jonah, that's not true. Your sailors cast you into the deep, didn't they? But what's Jonah saying? When I look back, hindsight, I see your hand. I see how even when I was thrown off that boat, you had prepared something for me. It was your hand, Lord, that threw me over the boat. You kept my life. The Bible says he appointed the whale to go find Jonah. He appointed it. He continues, he says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, verse 4, I shall again 
look to the holy temple. I shall turn and I will look to a holy temple. He's in the well. He's confound. How many of you have ever been confound in a situation? You can't move. You feel like you can't pray. Sometimes you're surviving on a song. Ever had that? You try to read the Bible. You, whatever you're reading just doesn't seem to make sense. And everything is crazy. And there's that one song. What is going on? This is the only thing that's helping me. He's confound. And so he begins to collect verses that he had memorized in his mind. All these, there are nine references to, to the book of Psalms and he's speaking them out. Lord, you hear me. You, you, you get me. The water's closed in over me to take my life. And now here's what's happening. When you read the text, you realize Jonah, he's dying. He's in agony. He can feel the end of his life approaching him. And he's trying to figure it out. But at the same time, there's this piece of this is the end of the road. When my life was fainting, verse 7, I remembered you. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In other words, when I pray, whether I feel confident about my prayer, whether I feel great about my day that day. When I pray, Jonah is saying, my prayers, my, my prayers, they rise and they find themselves in the presence of God. They, they begin to, to permeate the presence of God. And no matter what he does with my prayers, I know you've heard me. Because when I pray, my prayers get to you. That's the kind of God you are. I know you're gracious. I'm in this whale, but you can hear me. Then he says something weird. Here's what he says, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now this is weird because Jewish people had no idols. Jewish people served the one true and only God. And everyone else who did not follow Jesus, did not follow God or Yahweh, they had idols. What is he talking about? And then in the, the next portion of the verse, it speaks about steadfast love. That word literally means covenantal love. It is the love that God gave to his Israelites when he said, I will be yours and you will be mine. So what is he saying? He, here's what he's saying. He's saying, all this time I have judged the pagans for their idols. But at the moment of my death, I realized I had an idol of my own. And it was vain, Lord. It led to nothing. It was futile. My idol was myself. Everything was all about me. What I didn't want to do, what I hated, what I didn't love, what I couldn't do, what I was afraid of. My idol was me, and I realized now it's vain. And the fact that I made myself the center of my life actually took me away from the steadfast love, the covenantal love of God. So what's he doing? He's, he's beginning to repent. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, it's either you believe that there's no salvation, or that salvation belongs to you, or that salvation belongs to something else, or that salvation belongs to the Lord. One of those four. He realizes it wasn't him. And he declares in thanksgiving. At the moment of declaring thanksgiving, God speaks to the whale, opens, his, he opens up his mouth, and puts Jonah in a shore. All the whale was was a smelly uber. That's all the whale was. God just wants, I know what you're going through. I'm going to get you to where I need you to get to. I'm going to send the whale. It's going to protect you. It's going to be my mercy. And I'm going to take you to your next step. Find himself in the shore. The place of mercy. At the place of mercy. Which, by the way, for you and I is every day. Will you repent? Will you turn to him? Will you turn from your idols? And will you turn to him? God runs after the runaways. And when he finds you at the place of mercy, turn to him. Last point is the place of second chance. Um, Jonah gets spit out by the whale. He's now on the shore, right? He, finally, he has a chance to do this thing all over again. He comes out of that thing, 
Brother man is dizzy, smelly. He's trying to figure out, ah, what's going on? And he's trying to orientate himself. While he's there, the Lord looks at him, he said, listen, I told you, go to Nineveh, go. Simple. Says it to him. Second time, he has another opportunity to do it. He has a second bite at the cherry. We don't like to talk about this because it seems uncomfortable for many people. God has unlimited grace. He really does. But whilst you are on this side of earth, this hidden place, this hidden whale of common grace that you and I are in, whilst you are here, you have limited bites at the cherry. You can't bite the cherry forever. At some point, common grace takes you to the shore. And when you get to the shore, what he says to you is the end. You have limited bites. What will you do? I don't know what bite you're on. It might be on a second. It might be a hundredth. I don't know. But no, you can't bite the cherry forever. At some point, the cherry comes to an end. But yet his grace is shown in this moment. Jonah, I want you to go. I'm giving you another shot. And Jonah responds to the word this time. Boy, here's what we learn from this place of second chance. It's not just about obedience, but it's about passion. Will you obey him with everything? Or will you obey him begrudgingly? You see, at the end of Jonah's life, he says to the Lord, You see, I told you, you're going you're gonna to save these people. He obeyed, but with no passion. He's at the shore. God speaks to him. All right, it's time to go. He's ready to go. He makes his way to Nineveh, and when he gets in, now I'm telling you, when we prep sermons, we take, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 hours to get ready. Jonah took a long time to get ready for his message. His was uh, his message. You'll read it in Jonah 3, verse 3, 3 and 4. He walks into Nineveh. They don't kill him. He comes in, and here's what he says. 40 days, you're going to die. All right. Okay. That's it. The moment he says it, the whole nation from the, the, the biggest to the least, they fall on their face, they start fasting, and they repent. How perfect does Jonah have to be to have the greatest revival of all time? How perfect did he have to be? And yet again, God again shows him one more time. Jonah, do you see how they repented better than you? Do you see? How the pagans you hate, when they heard the word, obeyed faster than you did. What about you, Jonah? What about you? I don't want you to miss what I'm saying here today. The grace of God in your life doesn't mean that we live any kind of way. In fact, the grace of God means we live specifically. It means we live out of gratitude. Everyone else might try, everyone else in religion might try to obey out of obligations so that they might have a reward. We have already received a reward, and it's solid, it's clear, it can't be moved. In fact, Jesus, who's the king of kings, who came onto the earth owning everything, when he comes, he comes as a servant. Instead of saying, give me your land, he says, listen, I have a land that your moths cannot get to. I've saved you a place. You're good. You're good. So for us, when we're talking about grace, it is a response of gratitude to who God is. And so when we are obeying, we, we, it, it's, a, it's a physical act of saying, thank you. I, I wasn't able to obey before, but I'm able to now because grace has said no and it has said yes. The Holy Spirit is inside of me and I can live differently. When I obey, I'm saying aloud, thank you, Lord. And so even when I miss it, I'm able to come to him and say, thank you for the cross. Because in the cross, yet my identity is found in you. I am still a family of God. I am still a servant of God, still a co-heir with Christ, still a missionary of the king. Because my identity is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, what he has done, and who God is for me. What it is. 
Let me end with these two stories and have a party and eat some meat. Um, I have land, y'all. You guys don't know. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's in the rurals. Um, it's in Debe in the Eastern Cape. Now, it doesn't look like Santon, but it's mine. I think uh, it's my dad's, but it's there, all right? <laughs> my great, great, and probably more than that, grandfather owned it. That little hut over there is where my grandfather used to live for decades upon decades until he died. He died at the age of 100 years old. Uh, he used to live in that hut, and then later on, my family started to build a few other buildings. That The one next to it is where my dad currently lives, and then there's another one where my aunt lives, and it's kind of built around that. Right Now, end, end of last year, my wife and I were married 10 years, and we went home. She had never been home before, uh, and it was the first time that my kids and my wife got to come home. Uh, she was there for about three days celebrating my dad's birthday, but also having a celebration of welcoming my wife to my family. And so the whole process was meat, all right? Um, I'm not talking chicken. Um, cows, goats. Sheep, that was the order of the Lord. And so we were there. Go to the next slide. We were there, and uh, this was my wife clothed in her garments. And next to, next to him is, I'm not lying when I say this to you. Next to him is one of my uncles who used to stay with me when uh, my dad was in Australia during apartheid. So he came to watch the house and stuff. He used to swear at me every day before I went to school. It was... I knew when he said that swear word, it meant school time. <laughs> it was classic, classic, classic. Uh, I'd love to say it here, but I can't. But now, here's what, here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, yo, baby, you look tired up there. What's happening? <laughs> uh, here's what happened. We got home. She was welcomed in. The first thing that, it was hap- that happened is that they gave her a new name. Amakuze, astandile, asitandile amakuze, which means the kuzes are, have loved us because they sent you to us, right? It's the man. So no one called her Marsha. She was called Asi, Asi the whole time. They gave her the name. Then the second thing that they did. My dad said, right, there was an old lady who was there, like a matriarch and stuff, and she was trying to do things in the house, and my dad said, no, you can't, because now this house belongs to that girl. She's in charge now. Whatever, whatever gets put on in this house can only happen with her authority. She got an inheritance in a second. Why? Because of me. No, no. I don't know why you're laughing. It's true. Um, I'm still waiting for the Zulus to give me some land from her side. I was coming through, well. Uh, it's true. And because of that, she has authority, she has an inheritance. This is true of you. The Jesus, who is the greater Jonah, who rose from the grave on the third day, now has authority in the heavens and on the earth. And when you are in relationship with him, he then turns to you and says, you see this world? It's yours now. Don't. What happens to it is up to you. What goes out of it is up to you. I'm giving it to you. In, in a second, in a moment, I have an inheritance that, can, that cannot be tainted because of one man's sacrifice. The greater Jonah, Jesus. Father, thank you. This evening, I pray for us that we be found Lord, in your mercy and in your grace, I thank you that your grace is constantly chasing us. You are the God who runs after the runaways. No matter how far we run, no matter how fast we run, regardless of the reason why we run, you chase us, the all-pursuing God, chasing a people because he loves them deeply deeply enough to send his son. So we thank you. If you're here today and you know that you've been running from God, running from God, 
matter how long you have been, but you know I have been running from God and I'm tired of running. I want to turn and begin to run to God, come into His will, His embrace. It doesn't matter whether you've, you've never given your life to Jesus or you've given your life to Him and then you chose, like Jonah, to say no to Him and choose to run to the opposite direction of disobedience. Whatever your reason is, if you have been running from God and you want to stop, you can. So if that is you this evening and you want to stop running from God, I want to ask you to be bold enough right now to say, I am going to run to God. If that is you, could you be bold enough to lift up a hand right now and say, that's me. I'm running to you, Lord. I'm coming to your grace. I'm coming to your salvation. I am coming to you. I see the hand. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else here who's saying, that's me. Today, I'm coming to Jesus. I give my life to him. I'm tired of running for him. Yes, ma'am. I give my life to anyone else in this place. Be bold. Be courageous. Make the decision. Take that moment at the shore to make the decision, to follow, to chase after the God who's been chasing you. Anyone else lifting those hands? Anybody else in this place? Amen. Amen. So many hands. Can we all stand together? Number of hands in the building. Can I ask those of you who are bold enough to lift your hands, if you wouldn't mind taking one step of boldness, Would you mind coming down to the front here? We want to pray for you. We want to give you tools. We want to walk with you. Those of you lifted up your hands, could you come and join me down here in the front? Can we give them a hand? Let's go. Come on, run to God. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Praise him. Come on. Run to God, man. Bless him, Lord. Run to God, hey. Yes, Lord. Let's go. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. Every nation. Let's worship Him. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Come on. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you for each and every person who's here. We're going to take a moment right now to pray for you, to pray with you. I want you to pray this prayer after me. And as a church, we're going to pray this prayer with you. Lord Jesus. Today, I give my life to you. I declare you Lord and Savior over my life. Be in charge, Lord. Take the wheel. I repent of my sins. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.